You're listening to Gameplay with Matthew Cause on TSN 1050. Embrace the odds. I want winners. I'm going to apologize to some of the listeners. This is going to be a great interview. We're going to talk all about the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes. But as anyone knows, you get me a guest who played in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. Now you've hit my sweet spot of when I was a teenager watching football. And I remember uh, Danny Hughes, receiver for the Chiefs. He joins now. He is a radio broadcaster and uh, Chiefs color analyst uh, for the team. Danny, first, thank you for joining the show today. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? I am doing... Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining the show. And before we talk about the game, um, I'm going to indulge myself. For people who don't know, how good was Derek Thomas? Oh, he was incredible. Incredible. The fastest the fastest speed, like, you know, how everybody measures from 40-yard dashes and 20-yard dashes and other sports is 60 yards. And But... With him, it was he's the fastest from one to five, and that's all he needed to be. Like yeah. from one yard to five yards, he was the fastest that I had ever seen. Uh, you know, he had a knack for stepping up in the big moments, especially if the quarterback's back was to the goal line. You know, he would make that that safety call and and then put on the heat. So yeah, I played with a lot of special guys. I didn't know it at the time that I would have played with. I believe six or seven Hall of Famers uh, during my career, but, yeah, he was one of the special ones. How weird is that looking back now? Like when, when you're there with the player and you might not realize, like I, I, I think of Marcus Allen, um, Rich Gannon, I know isn't going to go in the Hall of Fame, but he would go on to win an MVP with the Raiders. But is it when you're in the middle of it all, it sometimes can be hard to recognize the greatness in front of you? Yeah, you recognize the greatness, but you like, you know, when you see those guys in gold jackets while you're playing, you're like, you know, that's so lofty that, yeah, I recognize that Derek Thomas was on his way to that, and obviously Joe Montana and Marcus Allen were headed that way. But, like, I, Tony Gonzalez had a terrible rookie year, and, and I oh. played with him for two years. <laughs> um, you know, Will Shields and I were drafted together, so yeah. even though I saw how great he was, like, he was – my buddy, like we gra- we got drafted together. We knew each other from college, so you didn't, you know, you look back and you're like, oh wow, you know, twelve straight Pro Bowls. I guess he'll be in the in the Hall of Fame. You know, Ronnie Lott. Not many people know that Ronnie Lott, his last last uh, training camp in the NFL was with the Chiefs. So I got a chance to play with him. Um, there was several other guys that you know were on the on the verge of being in the Hall of Fame or mentioned year after year, and, and uh, you know, it was just a special time. But you recognize that, okay, those guys play at a different clip than the rest of us, but you don't know that it's, like, Hall of Fame worthy until, like, afterwards when you look back. That is true about Tony Gonzalez. It's remarkable for a guy as productive as he is in terms of his career numbers, and yet it's not like he got off to like a gangbuster start as a, as a rookie. Um, one last question, just to indulge me. Again, I, when I was watching the AFC Championship game, sitting next to me was uh, uh, my closest friend who's a Chiefs fan, and he's been one since like 1990. How tough is it as a player in that locker room 
when you lose. And and by this I mean like in 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 95 that was an incredible team that got upset by the Colts and you know as a fan we're like oh my god how could you lose it but I'm curious what is it like in the locker room afterwards among the players when all this work goes into it and then I don't I mean does it feel like a rug's been pulled from under you? I mean I'm always fascinated by the psychology. Yeah, so uh unfortunately I had too many losses <laughs> in those situations and um but looking back on it, I can't recall a time when we were when we thought there was a chance that we would lose. And I and I say a chance that we would lose because in '93 we went to the AFC Championship. We played the Buffalo Bills at Buffalo. Now earlier that season we blew them out at Arrowhead on Monday Night Football. So even though we were going into Buffalo, we still felt really confident that we could beat them again because of how bad we beat them on our home turf. We lost that game. 95, we lost to the Colts. We were a top seed. I believe we were the number one or number two seed. And so there was definitely not a thought in our mind that we would lose to the Colts, who just barely made the wild card. And then 97, we had played the, um, we played the Broncos in the playoffs and lost to them. And we had beat them early in the season, and we had actually won the AFC West. So those those are three instances where, like, in our minds, I don't think we thought, like, we, th- we always thought, you know, hey, there's a chance we can lose. But we were really confident going into those games, and we wind up losing. So, yeah, I've been on the, the wrong side of the fence multiple times and thanks for bringing that up i'm uh, sorry I'm, so- <laughs> I'm sorry it's it, by the way it's so unfair in football it's one and done anything can happen it's not like in mm-hmm. basketball where it's a, a seven game series if it was you you would have beaten harbaugh and the, and the colts all right we'll, we'll move on to the to the current day team with danian hughes former receiver and broadcaster now with the chiefs um how are you doing moments after that game i was watching it with a friend stress drinking and eating indian food we were wiped out by the end of that game yeah, it was amazing. I was in the booth. I was on the call. I posted the uh, the video on Twitter and Instagram of the final call on the field goal with me and Mitch Holtis and the excitement that was going on in the booth. Now, obviously, because I'm actually working, I can't show all my emotions. So the emotions that flow through me, like there's – uh, it, it goes in waves. Like, you know, there's the, the tears that are coming out of my eyes. There's the elation and the high fives, you know, the hugs and everything else. So it's like there's a whole different uh, wave of emotions that go through. But mainly it's just like happiness, man. It's just like such a cool feeling. Uh, and there's multiple levels to this because, as I mentioned earlier, with all those losses, like there's nothing I can do about those losses in the past and nothing in regards to affecting the chief's kingdom and the fans, the faithful that have supported us since, you know, the nineties. And now they're getting paid. Like they're getting paid off for all of that dedication, all of that commitment, the consistent nature of filling Arrowhead stadium every year, you know, setting the record for the loudest stadium in the world, all of that, and they hadn't had much postseason success. Along comes Andy Reid, then this other kid named Patrick Mahomes, and five straight years you're hosting an AFC championship, going to three uh, Super Bowls in the last four years, and it's like thank you. It's like a thank you to the fan base because they put up with so so much mediocrity, mediocrity back in the day, and um, 
we were able to pay him off. So there's, there's the wave of emotions that goes into being in that booth, being in that stadium, and seeing that kick from Harrison Butker go through the uprights. Was that the guttiest game you've ever seen from Mahomes? I, I, it, I was just, I was amazed that that touchdown to Scantling, which, and a lot of credit to the offensive line, but for him, for him to be able to produce, because uh, at that point he was just limping around as a guy who played at the highest level. Um, how impressive with what you saw from Mahomes on Sunday? Oh, I thought it was one of his top performances. I actually think this year, if you look back at his MVP season, I think there's a lot you can argue that says this year was more impressive. Now, the numbers aren't as gaudy, but as far as being impressive in regards to how he did it, doing it without Tyreek Hill, doing it with an assemblance of rookies and other kind of unknown guys, uh, then you, you you move towards the divisional round, and he's hurt, comes back in the game, uh, leads us to victory, big question mark leading into the AFC Championship. You know, he's hobbled just a bit, maybe a little bit less than what many people thought he would be, and still played top shelf against Joe Burrow and everybody wanting to anoint him as the, the better quarterback. And so to me, I think – we can we can pinpoint this little window of the AFC Championship, but I think you look at the whole global picture of the entire season. The big picture of this season tells me like we we already knew we had something really special in Patrick Mahomes, but like the grit, the determination, the 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 uses of all his weapons, um, the fact that he didn't have the the Tyreek Hill guy that can catch a five yard pass and turn it into sixty yards. Uh, down the field, like didn't have that luxury, and yet you still made it happen and got to the promised land. It was incredible. It was it, it was a remarkable, yeah. remarkable performance. And and I've said this before that the greatest advantage in all of sports is the Patrick Mahomes contract. You know, I, when he signed that ten years of four hundred and fifty million. My first thought was the Chiefs are getting a steal here because of who he is, how productive, and still the age. Like we are about three, two years away from Mahomes being like the thirteenth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It, like I can't think of too many other advantages than than that deal. Oh yeah, it's huge. And I, I mean, if you want to draw up a script, if anybody ever wanted to write a screenplay, uh, a movie in some respects, of how to announce yourself in the NFL as a star. Just go back and look at how Patrick Mahomes has done it. He's six years in the league, five years as a starter. He sat for his entire rookie year, except for the last game of the season, which we didn't need to win to get into the playoffs. He came out like gangbusters from game one of the preseason on throughout till this day. Uh, what does he do? Okay, he makes some money. Guess what? I'm going to buy some stock and some interest in the Royals. And there's this new women's soccer league coming to town, and I'm going to go along with my wife and buy uh, a part of that team. And I'm going to buy some some interest in K- and Sporting KC, the soccer organization. And all of the things that he's done, I mean, it's so impressive, not just on the field, but off the field and how he's embraced the the Chiefs' kingdom, how the Chiefs and the Chiefs' kingdom have has embraced him. Like it's it's really a special story, and you know I'm going to look forward to the movie down the road <laughs> because I know there's more chapters to be made in it. But if you talk about how 
like we've seen the pitfalls of guys in different cities, whether they were the number one pick or a Super Bowl winning quarterback, maybe not doing things the right way off the field, maybe a little bit of a, re- a recluse or uh, secludes themselves, not really showing their personality. And then you see how Patrick Mahomes does it. And I think it's it's just a, a testament to his parents, to how he was raised, but just also just the fine dude that he is. And by the way, he's he's winning, like yeah. continuing to win, and that makes it even more cool. Yeah, no, all the receivers getting hurt still found a way to get it done. All right, Dan, and I'll leave you with this question: Who looks dumber, Bengals players calling it Burrowhead or the mayor of Cincinnati? You can only pick one. Who's dumber? Oh my gosh. Well, the mayor did look dumb because he was reading from the script. and yes. didn't really have any kind of flavor to it. None, like, none at all. Thank you. Your father, like he would know, like to me, most people, if you're going to talk trash, you don't say, I'm your father. You say, you know, he's your daddy. That's like, right. You would say, like that's, you know what I mean? So that, I would say, kind of puts him over the top. But an extremely, extremely close second is <laughs> Eli Apple and Mike Hilton yeah. and, and Joe Burrow with his T-shirt, sorry in advance coming into the stadium. I mean, all of that stuff uh, coupled together. Mike Hilton gets beat for a touchdown by MVS, and Eli Apple gets the crucial penalty um, on on the hold on MVS as well. So two guys that open their mouth up the biggest uh, wind up having two of probably the four biggest blunders in the game. Yeah, and uh, you're right about the mayor. I mean, no, no flair, no panache. You could tell it was completely yeah. scripted, and his delivery stunk as well. Hey, <laughs> hey, Danon, really appreciate. Congrats! I saw that video of you and your entire broadcast team. That had to feel great. And uh, now you get to look forward to two weeks to getting you set for the big game. All the best, and uh, in, 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 enjoy two weeks from now. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, and go Chiefs. Yeah, absolutely. That is Danon Hughes, radio broadcaster with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, by the way, TSN 1050, they want you to be our unofficial correspondent at the Waste Management Open in Arizona. Yes, you, the listener. So you, the listener, how can you become this? Well, it's easy. The word listener is listen. So you just got to listen first up this week for the daily waste management keyword. If you hear it, be sure to tune in to Overdrive that same day. Now, when you hear the cue to call, you're going to call us in the studio at 416-870-1050. First caller through with the correct keyword for that day wins a $100 Golf Town gift card and qualifies for the grand prize. Draw that grand prize. Airfare for two. Four-night hotel stay. Two tickets to the Waste Management Open. $500 Golf Town gift card. $500 cash to spend however you want. And a custom full bag fitting on Golf Town's Studio X. Visit with Koronik and Koliakova. We'll be calling our grand prize winner on Friday. Full contest details available at tsn1050.ca. We got our Tuesday top five and our top five injury performances in sports. And we'll do that right after traffic. This is Gameplay on TSN 1050. This is found money. I want to parlay it. I want to make a big score. Embrace the odds. I want winners. King Kong Bundy always looking for that big five count. Five now he power. wants the five. And the referee obliges him. Give me a break, ref. All right, we do it each and every Tuesday here on Gameplay. It is our Tuesday Top 5. And in honor of what we saw from Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game, we are doing Top 5 Injury Performances in Sports. And this one, we're going to do a three-way. 
Phrasing. Um, between intern Adham, myself, and producer Nick, we have got our top five. So, we, uh, Nick, we will start with Adham. You'll start, then Nick, and then myself. We will go from five to one. Adam, what do you got? Oh, wow. I got the honors to start. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, actually, Kirk Gibson. Uh, the reason I picked that was more of the call by Vince Cully. Ah, it's so good. Call. So it's a, it's a very historical call. And the fact that he missed the whole World Series and just had that late appearance where he hit the home run off yeah. uh, Dennis uh, Eckerly is a memorable one for me. That is a great one. That is a fantastic one by you, and that is a great call. What do you got, Nick? All right, I'm going soccer. Surprising, I know. Shocking. I know. But we're heading back to 1989 World Cup qualifying, and one Terry Butcher gets into a collision early in the game. His head completely gashed open. The training staff, not knowing how to deal with this kind of injury, bandage him up. He goes out. And continues to play just as crazy as Terry Butcher had always played. Slide tackling, heading the ball like a madman. Ended up leading the team to a draw. They get World Cup, uh, World Cup berth in the process. But they had to rebandage him about four times because he kept bleeding through because he kept opening up the wound. Well, his name's the Butcher. I had hoped yeah. there was blood everywhere. <laughs> okay, with a good, my top five is all going to be football players. I kept it at football. And wow. uh, my number five... He played every game this year, third in passing yards, and his injury, he played with a broken heart. Tom Brady playing this season, despite being in the middle of a divorce. So my number five, a broken heart by Tom Brady. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> Adam, what do you got? Adam, wow, like that. He I liked. did not expect that Thank one. Thank you. And, uh, That's right. We'll keep it football, but I'll go. I'll double down on the mm. soccer like Nick. Is it the butcher as well? Guy. No, it yeah. is. Cesc Fabregas in 2010. He was playing with a fractured foot. He scored the penalty tie in the game and then went down after. But imagine playing soccer with a fractured tibia. That is not something I'd want to do. So, yeah, kudos to him for getting that out. What do you got at number four? I'm going hockey. Mm -hmm. Bobby Bond. Yeah. The broken leg and scoring the game winner in the same game. He had his leg iced and taped under his padding because he was that bad. Yeah. And still came out and scored the game winner in a playoff game. So, Bobby Bond, congratulations. It is a good one. By the way, if someone better get Blake Wheeler on this list. Uh, my number four, Ben Roethlisberger, AFC wildcard game against the Bengals. Gets hit by cheap shot artist Vontaze Perfect in the closing seconds of the third quarter. Team's got a big lead. He comes back with a minute 23 remaining. The team is down, and he suffered suffered a right shoulder injury. He had torn ligaments in his throwing shoulder, but was able to come in, lead the team on a last-second game-winning field goal drive, including completing a pass on fourth down. So my number four is Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, for my number three, I'm going to go back to the late 70s, 1979 to be exact. Joe Montana and the Cotton Bowl. Oh. We all know about the flu game, but how about the hypothermia game? Mm-hmm. He, was, he had the flu before the game, and then he got diagnosed with hypothermia. They had to give him chicken soup, and he came back in the fourth quarter, at the end of the fourth quarter, when they were down 34-12 to and managed to help his team come back to a 35-34 victory, uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, that is. So, yeah, how about that? Like, you hypothermia, chicken soup, and a a game winner. That is a great one. That is old-timey. Oh, my God, you got hypothermia. Uh, You could die with that. Let's give him some soup and get him back on the field. That's when, that's when. How how much home remedy is that? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Chicken soup is fine. Chicken soup, you're going to be totally cool out there. Way better than the (laughs) flu game. By the way, flu game should not be on anyone's list.
It's not actually yeah, on my list. Good. I was wondering that, but I didn't no. put it on my list. Yep. Uh, number three for me, I'm sticking with the college football theme, but I'm going to a regular season game, and one of the most iconic images in college football when we talk about injuries, how about Byron Leftwich for mm. oh. Marshall? Oh, they were carrying the him down the yes. Okay, this story is crazy to me. This guy, in the first quarter, broke his leg, yep. was taken to hospital, diagnosed with a broken tibia, then just says... Ah, I'm going it. back. Yep. Goes back into the game. Yes. Throws for 208 yards, yeah. and his linemen are carrying him down the field. I remember that but happening in real time. By the way, they time. lost. It was yeah. 34-20 or something. Uh, but still, like, how impressive. He threw for 208 yards on a broken leg. Oh, God, I remember that. You do that now in all the TV shows when we talk about uh, college players deserve more money. Uh, my number which th- they do. Which they do. My number three, this is the body of work. For the body of Rob Gronkowski. Um, back sprains, concussions, thigh contusions, herniated discs, chest lung contusion, hamstring strain, right knee bone bruise, torn right ACL, MCL concussion, fractured vertebrae, herniated disc, broken left forearm. All those injuries happen in different years. <sighs> and in every one of those years, he came back to play. Don't ach me. And then on top of that, he had the most critical catch when the Patriots beat the Rams in that horrible Super Bowl. He was playing through a thigh bruise. And you're like, thigh bruise? Bah! Do you know that he had to he had to go get blood drained and blood removed from his leg? In total, Gronkowski had a liter of blood removed from his leg within a month. So my number three, the entire body work of Rob, Gronk- Rob Gronkowski. And now let's see if you can kick a field goal with all those uh, That's injuries. That's right. Oh, Super look at Bowl. That. There it is. Uh, for Take my number destiny. two, I'm going to go to the ice, Steve Eiserman. Uh, for this, when he's playing the Stanley Cup final on a, tearing up his right knee before the uh, finals, he played the whole series, helped the Red Wings, uh, helped lead the Red Wings to, to a cup. So, yeah, playing, uh, playing uh, Stanley Cup finals with a torn knee. And he had to get surgery on that knee, and he was out of the entire. He missed the first half of the next season uh, with that surgery. So imagine playing a five-game series on one knee, basically. Yeah, it's not not recommended. I've had a knee injury since I was 12. Never good to play on a hurt knee. Um, I'm going another leg injury, surprisingly, I know. But what about Tiger Woods at the 2008 U.S. Open? Ah. This guy broke his leg in two places two weeks or two tournaments prior to the U.S. Open. Goes out, can barely walk. The images of him using his club as a cane are iconic. Yep. Goes out and beats Rocco Mediate. Not in regular number of holes. No, no, no. He had to go into a playoff hole just because. So that is my number two. I hate picking this one. I remember the game. I hate Emmett Smith. Final game of the regular season, the 93 season. Giants-Dallas winner gets home field in the playoffs and gets uh, and gets a playoff bye. In that game, he suffers a separated right shoulder. The game goes into overtime, and his right arm is dangling. It's dangling, and yet he's still on the final drive in overtime. He had uh, he had a couple runs, had a reception. He, he gained 41 of the 52 yards in overtime for Dallas to get the winning field goal. And his right arm was dangling. He finished with 32 carries and 10 receptions. And a lot of that after separated right shoulder. My number two is Emmett Smith. I hate myself, but it has to be on the list. All right, what's your number one? My number one is a tennis bias one. I'm a huge tennis guy. So last year, Rafael Nadal winning his 14th Rolling Garros with a fractured rib mm. and a foot injury that required painkillers every day to numb his foot. 
playing two weeks of tennis, best of five sets, and coming with his 14th. Uh, Roland Garros and at that time the most Grand Slams which was 22 tied by Djokovic oh, I thought I thought you were going to pick uh, uh, Djokovic and the injury he suffered the last couple of years I don't know about that of having, of having his dignity ro- anyway kidding <laughs> you're number one there <laughs> when you got there Nick uh, well, I think we might have the same one here, Maddie. I'm kind of concerned about this. Oh, um, but is I'm there going, crossover? There might be, and I'm worried, but I'm going to go with it. 1979. Nope, not it. That's a good one. Jack Youngblood. Yep. This story, another crazy one. In the divisional round game, this man broke his fibula. Mm-hmm. To any sane person, that would be the end of your season. Yeah. But no, Jack Youngblood decides... I have two more games to play. So he tapes it up and goes out and plays not only in the conference championship, which his team won, but the Super Bowl as well. Incredible performance. Three games on a broken fibula in the NFL playoffs. Does not happen often. And that NFC Championship game, they shut out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 9-0. He was, of course, a member of that defense. Yeah, I was looking at that. My number one, a guy who's known to be a bit of a diva, because sometimes he is a diva, but in 2005, Terrell Owens in the Super Bowl had nine catches for 122 yards. The Eagles would lose to the Patriots. Owens was the best player that day. Seven weeks earlier, broke his leg, tore a ligament in his right ankle. No one thought he was going to play. Not only did he play he played in 62 of 72 offensive snaps and again 122 yards on 14 targets the most of any player in the game so my number one a guy who is a bit of a ninny but Terrell Owens is my number one good list gentlemen good list nice nice historic nice little uh, all over the place all over different sports over. Too. yes Look at us. yes and, and apologies to Blake Wheeler who uh, had a testicle ruptured in a game and finished it Coming up on the other side, we're going to stick with hockey. Hopefully nothing to do with groin trauma, but we will get into the trauma going on between the Islanders and the Canucks, and that is coming up right after traffic. And traffic, of course, is brought to you by Janpro, Canada's leader in commercial cleaning and disinfection services. Trust the professionals at Janpro. Visit them today at janpro.ca. Time now for traffic. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. The biggest story in hockey last night and yesterday afternoon, really, was the trade of Bo Horvat going to the New York Islanders, a uh, protected first-round pick and a couple players going back to the Canucks. Joining us now to talk all things Vancouver from the Athletic, Harmon Dials joining us. Harmon, thanks so much for being part of the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and before we get into the news of the day, again, I'm going to be, um, I like to be self-indulgent because it's my show. Um, you wrote an article, and it's pinned on your Twitter account from from March of 2021 about how tough it is for players and their families when they get traded. Um, I was wondering if you could just, a couple broad strokes, whatever you remember, about some of the stories of how tough it can be for a player and their family when suddenly they got to move all across a country or a continent. Oh, it can, I mean, look, nobody feels bad for professional athletes given how much they're paid, but there's no doubt that there's an emotional human element. The idea that especially if you spent a really long time with the franchise, perhaps it's, perhaps it's the only team you've ever played for, those goodbyes with teammates, you know, people that you've become best friends with that you may never really cross paths with again on a consistent basis again, the city itself which became like home for a lot of players you know a lot of these guys might have houses there 
and uh, maybe they've bought. Now all of a sudden they've got to worry about that and finding a new place and moving and perhaps they have children who you've got to account for schools with in, in their new city. And there is a sort of feeling of when you do get moved to a new destination of no matter how well-respected or highly regarded you are on the league, of you kind of feel like um, the new kid on the block, you don't have any friends, uh, you're going to a new city that you're not familiar with at all. I mean, imagine if um, at, a, at a drop of a dime, we as just as you know, normal people working our jobs could get traded to a totally different city and on a whim have to completely pack up. So it can definitely be challenging, and um, especially considering the circumstances now with a player like Bo Horvat, who spent his entire uh, career with this franchise nine years, it's, it's definitely an emotional and, and difficult breakup. Yeah, and it's interesting, and we'll get to the uh, the emotional side, which, again, we can't ever give a full answer for. We're not there. We're not in their heads. But hearing Bo Horvat saying he was surprised and that his goal was to be a member of the Vancouver Canucks for his entire career, but then the, the team did offer him some sort of deal, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't up to his liking. And, I mean, that's where the, the seeds of this trade came from. And I'm wondering, Harmon, the fact that he is not a member of the Canucks, how much of this was Vancouver not offering up a good enough deal? And how much of it was Bo Horvat feeling like he was being disrespected? Disrespected. Well, I think Horvat has every right to feel that he wasn't made a priority because in the summer, it actually felt like the Canucks had both Miller and Horvat as pending UFAs for the end of the season. The common sort of feeling that uh, that a lot of us had was that JT was probably the one that was going to be uh, uh, on his way out, and that uh, that Horvat was uh, was the one they were going to keep. But they ultimately decided in the opposite direction, where they committed to JT Miller on the back of his 99 point season. I'm sure Horvat felt slighted. I'm sure he felt that okay, I've, uh, I wanted to stay here. And at that point, too, keep in mind that was before he's had this massive breakout on pace for more than 50 goals. So the price tag to actually keep him would have been quite reasonable and not uh, nearly as high as it uh, would be at this moment. And then, of course, yeah, you start the season, and the year that Horvat's had, his his stock has skyrocketed. And um, at that point, I'm sure he feels that, all right, well, if you didn't, if I wasn't a top priority for you in the summer, if you picked pick Miller for me and, and signed all these players, um, you know, keeping Besser, signing McKayev, you had all this calf space, and you didn't really prioritize it with me, you didn't, Come, uh, come at me with a fair offer in the off season. Then it's not like I'm gonna take a significant cut on my market value when um, when I don't feel as appreciated or, or as wanted as I thought it would be. Does this all feel like just, and again, there's been plenty of stories about Vancouver Canucks management, maybe not uh, giving A-plus performances. Is, is this just an example of a management team, maybe arrogantly or foolishly, were betting on the idea that they could somehow figure a way to keep Hor- Horvat on the cheap? Maybe. I'm sure that they felt from their standpoint that, okay, if Horvat likes staying here, once we've got Miller at the time they viewed as a center as well, you got Miller, you got Pedersen. Perhaps they felt that they had the upper hand and more leverage now in these negotiations. But really, it's for, for me, it's not so much that they totally disrespected Horvat or that this was uh, a case of them um, of driving too hard, hard of a bargain. They just picked the wrong guy. To be totally honest, yeah, they they it was either Miller or, or Horvat. Realistically, I mean, technically they could have afforded both, but it wouldn't have been the responsible decision given the state of the franchise, given some of the other needs on the back end especially with the way Miller's contract, which hasn't even kicked yet, 
kicked in yet is already aging. So it, they just they just flat out picked the wrong guy. On the other side of things, and again, joined by Harmon Dial from The Athletic, covers all things Vancouver Canucks. What are you more interested in, the two players or the top 12 protected pick that becomes more interesting if the Islanders keep losing? Yeah, definitely the, the draft pick for me. Ratu's, I like Ratu as a prospect because you know he, he's established himself, had a, had a great year in, uh, in Finland last year, has been respectable contributing in the American league this year, but that first round pick, I mean, consider this, if uh, the Islanders, if the season ended today, the, the Islanders would be giving up the 13th overall pick to the Vancouver Canucks in a pretty strong draft class. Now, obviously with Horvat now in the equation, they're in a much stronger position to actually contend, but the East, Eastern conference is an absolute behemoth. They're going to have to com- compete and dethrone a, a Pittsburgh or a Washington while also staving off teams that are also on the outside looking in like them in terms of the Florida Panthers who just won the President's Trophy last year, uh, the, the Buffalo Sabres who have been on fire. So it's going to be challenging for them to make the playoffs even with um, Horvat now in the fray. And the Canucks now have a, are, are staring at a possibility of, you know, could you end up with a mid-first-round pick this year? That's a lot more valuable than, say, a late-first-round pick that you should have gotten from some of the other legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. Man, it must be funny. There must be a, a Canucks watch party for every Islanders game when they're just rooting on on the Islanders uh, to lose. Um, um, bigger picture, when you during training camp this year, what were your expectations for this team? I mean, obviously... You know, you start 05 and 2, the Bruce Boudreaux mess, trading the captain. I mean, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's been a disaster. But what were your expectations of this squad going into the year? In training camp, it felt like we expected them to maybe be a playoff bubble team. I, I sort of leaned in the direction that, you know, ever so slightly leaning towards them missing the playoffs. But really, it was, it was going to be a coin flip, and you figured they'd be right around. Uh, the wild card race, especially in a weaker Western Conference, but obviously didn't play out that way. And I think as preseason started, you could tell that the vibes are a little bit off. Where the club won, if I recall correctly, only one game in preseason, and you could already start to see cracks emerging. You had players like Brock Besser and Ilya McCann get injured before the regular season had even started. So it just seemed like there were a lot of bad omens. That, um, that things just didn't start off on the right note and it didn't feel like there was any momentum from the strong second half that they had under Boudreau, uh last season. And what are your expectations between now and the end of the year? They're still the sort of team where, well, I think the most interesting story with them is what else are they going to do in terms of potentially peeling players off at, uh, at the deadline. They've got uh, Luke Shen is another fascinating trade chip. They, um, they have some they have some contracts that they definitely want to move out, I would imagine now, especially with Bovilli in the fold. They've got a lot of money tied up into middle six wingers. So you'd imagine they'd love to find a home for a Brock Besser or, or a Connor Garland, something along those lines, especially after also re-signing Andre Kuzmenko, who's been phenomenal in Vancouver. So the challenge, obviously, is that it's not very easy to move money at the trade deadline. That's usually more of an off-season project, but I would still expect more activities and then moves for the Canucks between now and the trade deadline. And then till the end of the season, it really, I think in Vancouver, just a race to see how far they can tank. It's going to be challenging because 
even after they strip the roster, even after they lose Horvat, even with Mikheyev done for the season with an ACL injury, they still have some of the top end talent in the likes of Pedersen and Hughes and, um, and Miller to where like they can't realistically compete with teams like Arizona and, and Chicago, <laughs> Anaheim, San Jose, Columbus, and the Tankers. Like those, those rosters are awful. And the Canucks weren't built originally to tank, plus they have one of the softest schedules in the league um, between now and the end of the season. So with Rick Tockett in the, in the fray now, it wouldn't be surprising if the Canucks um, do uh, pick up some wins. And it's more interesting just to see, okay, is this, is this team going to end up with a draft pick that's in the, say, you know, six, seven, eight range, a bit later than that? Uh, do, do things really fall apart and they land in the top five? That's the most interesting question beyond what happens with, uh, with roster moves for the Canucks. Well, I wonder, is uh, as as we end this, is there going to be a period of just sort of quiet? The, the year started with with the, the, the horrible uh, losing streak, and then everything with Boudreaux and the Mikheyev. Why is he playing? Oh, no, he's fine, and now he's out, and then Horvat getting getting traded. At the very least, Harmon could say this uh, about you covering the team this season. You haven't had a hard time having to come up with stories. Oh, not at all. And I'll say this, it's never quiet in Vancouver. So I'm absolutely expecting, I mean, look, there might be a week or two period of lull, but there's always something going on, especially with, uh, with the new coaching staff. I mean, no, like that's been completely overshadowed now. They still got a lot of, a lot of work to do, uh, to identify who's part of the long-term solution or not. They've got some prospects down in the American league that they'll probably want to get a look at at the NHL level. So, um, there's there's never going to be a, uh, a shortage of storylines here in Vancouver. Nope, not at all. And uh, the big trade to kick off trade season, Bo Horvat is now a New York Islander. Harmon, really appreciate Thank you so much for joining the show on what is a busy day, busy time, busy week, busy month. Really a busy season for you, so I appreciate you taking the time. Cheers, thanks. That is Harmon Dial, and again, you can check out his work at The Athletic, covering all things Canucks. All right, on the other side, we've got Sound of the Day, a couple different ones uh, to pick from, and we will get into that in just a moment. But first, time now for Traffic. I noticed that it's um, some pretty iconic birthdays today. In the world of baseball, on this day in 1931, Ernie Banks was born, and on this day in 1919, Jackie Robinson was born. That is uh, hard to get a better one-two punch, and again, a second to brag, my uh, dad, my old man, who is now 90 years old, does have a letter from Jackie Robinson. My dad interviewed him a bunch of times back in the day, and Jackie appreciated the conversations they used to have. Man, I I loved watching Jackie Robinson clips. Obviously, I didn't watch it live, but watching the clips of him stealing. Yeah. And it just his ability to get up and down the line and make simple play. Like, it was incredible yeah. to see how talented he was. Uh, I I tried to do that as a player when I played baseball and did not any exact. So you're saying you, you didn't, you weren't exactly Jackie Robinson as no, a baseball God, no. player? No, okay, okay. But I mean, I, I, I mean. Across three seasons, I had 92 stolen bases in my league. So, there you go. They, so basically, you said you're kind of on par. No. That's okay. That, that's never, what I'm getting I will for that. never say that. <laughs> the gameplay, by the way, on TSN 1050 is brought to you on by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. And if you are looking for a good bet tonight, I am all over 
all things LeBron at Maple Leaf, uh, Maple Leaf at Madison Square Garden. First basket plus 390, 35 points or more plus 250, or take the points, rebounds, and assists of 43.5 at minus 106. By the way, the Bo Horvat deal, uh, the Islanders' odds of making the playoffs move from plus 200 to plus 125. So take that as you will. All right, we do this at the end of each and every show. It is time now for Sound of the Day. And for Sound of the Day, we're going to stick with football. We're going to stick with quarterbacks, but nothing to do with either the starters or where's Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady going to be? Instead, here's Adam Schefter talking about the 49ers, Brock Purdy, and that injury situation. When he initially suffered the injury, they were hoping that it was just a sprained UCL that would require six weeks of rest. But the test today showed a tear of the UCL And it's a situation now where 49ers doctors are recommending that he has surgery. Now, before he has surgery, Brock Purdy wants to explore other medical opinions before he has to do that. But it certainly sounds like he's on track to having to have this repaired. And and when that is repaired surgically, he would be sidelined the six months. Now, you think about the 49ers quarterback situation. Brock Purdy is out six months. Jimmy Garoppolo is coming off the broken foot and is a free agent. Trey Lance is coming off a fractured fibula with two ankle surgeries and so a team that just went through so many quarterbacks now has major quarterback questions going into the 2023 season and uh, there's uh, josh johnson uh, dealing with uh, a concussion concussion never good uh, who are the did, did the 49ers hire the doctors from the Chargers who, who once stabbed Tyrod Taylor? No, 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 because like, the difference is these actually happen on the field as opposed uh, to off in the training room. Jesus, just injury after injury. You can't this even team. blame. The, the worst poss- part about it is you can't like blame anybody else. Like These are freak accidents yeah. in the game of play. Like There's nothing that any doctor could have done. Like Hassan Reddick hit. Purdy's arm in an awkward angle and yeah. tore the UCL, right? Trey Lance broke his tibia, right? Like, yeah. this isn't anything that a doctor could have stopped. Well, I mean, it feels to me like the question is you go in next year with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. You go in and those two guys are battling it. Six months from now, you know, you're looking at you could have Purdy back by the end of July. I don't know what where Trey Lance is right now. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, he's going to go bye bye. Uh, maybe you know, who knows? Maybe he ends up with the Jets. But just such a disastrous. I mean, the thing about it is, you get all you need is like San Fran has done everything right. You know, they've drafted and developed so many players. They've built the right way on the offensive line, defensive line. They, they've got great receivers, a great tight end. They, they went all in and traded draft picks to get Christian McCaffrey. You know, this is a team that is well coached, well built, and then all your plans go to naught because of a freak hit on Brock Purdy. Or Trey Lance, you know, you give up all those draft picks, and in the end, you are you, you're still have nothing. You have no idea what kind of player that he is going to be. And man, you must be jealous. You, if you're San Fran fans, you're just gonna be jealous of Kansas City. You're just gonna be jealous of Patrick Mahomes and just what he's been. And then on the other side, the interesting contrast is you know you have the Kansas City Chiefs who are built on the quarterback who's getting paid lots of money and not the highest paid guy. 
Um, and then other you know talent around, but maybe not as good because of all the money. And then Philly better win now because you got Jalen Hurts on you know a couple million. After that, that's going to go away soon, and all that depth you got on the offensive or defensive line is also going to go bye bye. If you're a San Francisco 49ers fan, though, are you ready for this, Matty? We're yeah. going big brain here. Okay. Are you more jealous of Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes? Mm-hmm. Or are you more jealous of the fact that Tampa Bay got Tom Brady when he was a free agent and won a Super Bowl when he was rumored over and over again to potentially be going mm. to San Fran? Who are you more jealous of? I, I think San Fran uh, or Tampa. I think I think you're more. You're more if you're uh, if you're an Eagles fan. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. If you're no. a Forty Nine. Yeah. Fan. No. No. If I'm a Forty Nine fan, I'm just more raging that we never got Tom Brady. Yeah. Just more raging didn't get Tom Brady. Like that's to me. That's where Brady should go. That's where it makes it makes the yeah. most sense. You've got the weapons. You've got a very good offensive line. You've got a running game. Like the Forty Niners is the is the perfect retirement community for Tom Brady. You know, not a bad home, but like a really, really good home where, you know, you go on excursions all the time. You've got a great staff. You've got a beautiful own independent room. Like, you go there, it's like, hey, Mr. Brady, not don't worry about it. Just rest. Relax. Your golden days are still ahead of you. What's that? Your arm's not feeling that good? Fine. Here's 17 screen passes to Debo Samuel. We can get 23 points off of that. Don't worry. The defense are going to hold them to 12 anyway. You're doing just fine. That will do it for us. Again, the big news, Bo Horvat has been traded from the Canucks to the Islanders for two uh, for two players and a conditional first-round pick. Do you want to try the names again? No, I don't. We're going to end the show. <laughs> We're going to end the show right now. You know, the Raptors, they lose 114-106 to the Suns. Uh, an ugly first quarter, first half with a lot of turnovers till the final couple minutes. Uh, the Raptors fought their way back as much as they could. Uh, they had a chance. They had a lead with under two minutes to go. They weren't able to close it out as the Phoenix Suns rode a couple very important offensive rebounds, and they get the win. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we get you set for the Leafs and Bruins. We look back at LeBron versus the Knicks and the Raptors taking on the Utah Jazz. Have a great day, everyone. Overdrive is coming up next. Time now for a News Talk 1010 traffic update.